Hi there. Just before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that there are some new dates now available for our grief retreats. Last year, they were incredibly popular. They all sold out and I'm back with some new dates for 2024. We're coming west this time. We have a full grief retreat weekend that is already sold out, but there will be more dates added. However, there is a one day full grief retreat being held in the Connemara Coast Hotel, which is approximately 15 minutes outside Galway City. It's in a stunning location right by the sea. It will be a full day of professionals. There will be counsellors and therapists giving advice and support throughout the day. We will have people speaking about their own personal experiences of loss. There will be meditations. There will be guided journaling, an awful lot of tools to help you through your grief and to help you manage cope. And the other thing that's massively important to me is that you will get to meet other people, people who might be walking a similar path to you, who just get it. And to be able to connect with those people and find those people, it can be really helpful to so many people. All of the details are on the website now. Head to griefireland.com to check out the one day grief retreat happening on February the 24th at the Connemara Coast Hotel in Galway. On today's episode of Family Flowers Only, I spoke to Sophia Murphy. Sophia is a recently qualified PT and a mom from Galway. Trigger warning, please be advised that this episode contains conversations of childhood sexual abuse and is oftentimes very upsetting. Sophia's story of loss begins in childhood when heartbreakingly, as a baby, her father began abusing her. She endured many years of absolute hell and torture until the abuse came to an end at the age of 16, when another victim came forward and he was eventually jailed for his horrific crimes. We spoke about so much from the abuse to the courts, her battles with her addiction, losing her beloved sister Steph to addiction and fighting her way forward to build a life that little Sophia will be proud of and deserves. I will never forget this conversation and I hope that you enjoy it. So hi, Sophia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. You're here and you're all glamour. <laughs> it's great to see you. <laughs> thank you, thank I you. I believe you had a photo shoot yesterday in Belfast. I did, I did, I did. <laughs> I was telling you on the way in, that was me in a former life. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be me in a former life soon <laughs> when I start eating again. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Because you have to... Um, be strict. Yeah, I remember drinking like 10 litres of water the day before I did yeah, mine. Yeah, I ate, ate. It yeah, was enough. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. It was worth it though. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... So, listen, I'm so happy to have you in here today. And in the recent uh, few episodes, I've been kind of delving a little bit away from, I suppose, grief in the traditional sense, which is death. Mm -hmm. Um, But grief, of course, is the loss of so many different things. And for you, you have a lot of grief and loss. And today we're going to be talking about something that's not in the traditional sense of loss, but that's the loss, I suppose, of a childhood the loss of an identity um, and, you know, it's very complex. And for you, your story starts really early in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm going to let you explain to us what that loss um, looked like for you. But it's in the form of sexual abuse um, and childhood abuse. So in 1988, I believe, is when it first started when you were three years of age. Is that correct? 1988 is my first memory. It was going on before that um, because I seen the HSE file. So like the abuse was going on since I was a small baby. But when I was three years of age, that was my first memory of the abuse. Wow. Yeah. So I just I remember sitting on the back of a bus outside the Rahun Flats and dad was doing what he was doing. And all my biggest fear was that the lads that were outside the bus was going to see him. So like even at that young age, I knew what he was doing was wrong, but I still wanted to protect him. Wow. Yeah. So you knew at the age of three, mm-hmm. if we get caught here, this isn't good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible to think of an innocent three year old. I know. Like I do. When I was doing therapy with my counsellor, like she told me to vision myself. And I just remember looking back at myself. I had little black paint and shoes on, a little denim skirt, denim jacket and two pigtails. And I just wanted to run to the back of the bus and take that girl. But then... I knew she wouldn't come with me because she loved her dad. Do you know that sort mm. of way? It was crazy. So obviously um, your perpetrator was your father. Yeah. 
So yeah. even more complex than anyone could ever dream or imagine mm-hmm. because that's the person that's supposed to keep you safe. I adored him too. I still do in a way. He's still my dad. You know, nothing will ever change that. But mm. yeah. So from the age of three, um, this became your norm. Was mm-hmm. it frequent and often? Every day. Anytime I was around him, there was always some form of abuse. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And nobody in your life was, was aware at that time? Well, I didn't know they were, but going through to going by the HSE files, there was people aware, like neighbours and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, over the years, um, was there many of you in family? There was me and my two sisters. Yeah. I was 13 when my baby sister was born and I was four when Steph was three and a half when Steph was born. OK. And, you know, when you were a young child or, you know, <clears throat> I suppose, at what age did you start to differentiate between this is just something that happens or well you've just said you knew it was wrong really didn't you yeah but did you as you grew a bit older did you start to grasp you know just the depth of how wrong this was no I didn't because to me it was normal I I knew no different do you know that sort of way like I I just accepted it and it's mad and all as it sounds I always I grew up thinking that everybody knew and everyone just accepted that that's what happened in our house Right. Do you know, because it was so normal, mm. like I'd go to friends houses and obviously that sort of stuff wouldn't happen. But I didn't compare my life to theirs, really. Do you know, I just accepted that that was the way my life was and that was it. Mm-hmm. So, it's you know, it's so hard, isn't it, for when to understand anyone's pain or what they've been through. It's really hard for somebody else to understand because, you know, you haven't been there, you don't understand it. Yeah. So that's really when I chat to people, I love to just kind of delve into it and and say, you know, I don't understand your pains, but I would love to because, you know, I'm sure it's quite unspoken. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that throughout your life you've had a lot of, I don't know what to say, so I'll say nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So as you grew up, um, I suppose at what point did you you know, feel like um, I need to try and, and get some help here or was that a thought in your mind? Um, at the time when I was younger, I didn't know I was doing it for this reasons. But looking back, I was I used to self-harm a lot. OK, I broke my bones a few times, hitting myself with hammers and stuff like that and broke legs, throwing myself downstairs. And like at even being in the hospital after having x-ray, I still go into the toilet har- harming myself to make sure that someone knew I was in bad pain. But Looking back on it now, I think that was a big cry for help. And mm-hmm. like the doctors, no one, like no one ever questioned it because I was in and out of hospital all the time with sprained ankles, broken wrists, torn ligaments and all different sort of stuff. But then when I was 14, when I started drinking and taking drugs and stuff like that and retaliating and running away from home and I used to stay in sheds and derelict houses and stuff just because I didn't want to be at home. Mm. And then I reported it to social workers when I was 14 and they were putting me into a place called Rice House and they brought me there and I was petrified. I just wanted to go home then. So I retracted what I said. I said it was lies. I said I was drinking. I was taking drugs and I just didn't want to go home and get into trouble for that reason. And then it was brushed under the carpet then again. So how did you get in touch with the social workers at that time? Did you just I walked into the it was in wow. Shansla at the time, I think I just walked into the centre. Wow. Yeah. And did you feel like they believed you? Or no. Really? No. How sad. I know. Because like even talking about it, it sounds so extreme. Like it sounds like a crazy story. Mm. I, I don't know if I heard myself talking at that age, would I have thought, Jesus, this one is making this up like that's that's mad. You know, that can't be going on. Do you know that sort of way? But now I know the fact that they knew it was going on from previous years and they done nothing is even more, more disturbing is the word for it. Like. So you had a case file. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they would have had access to. Yeah. And what was on that or, or what, how would they have known that it was going on? Because they were they came out to the flat when I was younger and they said this written in the file at one point. Dad admitted to doing stuff to me and it's written in handwriting, noted John has big hands, advised not to do it again. There was blood found in my nappy, all sort of stuff like that. He admitted to doing stuff to me like. And nobody did anything? No. Neighbours reported it. Neighbours seen him do stuff to me. I was at the hospital and the doctor said that it wasn't constipation that was causing the blood in my nappies. Mm. Horrific. Mm -hmm. Just horrific. 
during those years when you were younger, um, do you mind if I ask, like, what did you feel like on a day to day basis? You know, were you full of anxiety? Were you scared? Were you sad? Petrified. Really? So sad. So, so sad. And I'd always I never wanted to cry in front of anyone. I'd always cry when I'd be by myself. I'd, I'd get so frustrated. I'd harm myself like I'd be so upset and. I always felt like nobody liked me because I always felt everyone knew what was going on and no one done anything about it. Do you know that sort of way? I, I like I thought everybody hated me. Everybody. I was afraid of everyone. Like if I seen a crowd of people sitting on a wall, I'd walk home the long way just so I wouldn't have to walk past them. Right. Mm -hmm. Just with fear. Yeah, just I felt like an alien. Probably felt like the world was out to get you like. Yeah. And did you feel that you were a part of this, if that makes sense? Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. 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 Did you feel like this is my secret? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's excuse me, it's something that were you kind of uh, consciously aware of? I need to keep this a bit hidden. I don't yeah. need people to find this out. Yeah, because I didn't want my dad to get into trouble. Hmm. I really didn't. I, like, as I said, I, I loved him to bits like I really did. Hmm. Was there times where you wanted to get away from him? Yeah. You know, as the abuse continued. The older I got, yeah. 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 I got more frustrated the older I got. Okay. I, I'd argue with him. I'd call him a freak a few times and he'd go mad. But I'd, I'd, I'd forget about it the next day. So you're 14 and you go back into the house and the abuse continues. Mm -hmm. Is there any follow up from social workers and... and um, when we moved to Mayo when I was 16, I remember a social worker from Ballina coming out to the house and just asking, was everything OK? And I said, yeah. And she closed off the case. Yeah. I mean, there just aren't words really for that no. little girl. No. You know. No. That how much you were let down as a person. It's just it's overwhelming, really. I don't mm -hmm. think I've heard the like of it in my life. Mm -hmm. Um. So. Can I ask when I suppose it eventually all came to a head? When did it stop or when did, you know, when did the abuse stop? Uh, when I was 16. Hmm. And what happened that time? To, was there anything that caused it to stop or? I think, I think because I'd reported it and I was retaliating more at that age, I think my father was starting to fear if I keep pushing her, it will come to a head. Hmm. Yeah. And would there have been, um, if you don't mind me asking, I'm just, no, you ask know. Away. Would there be, I suppose, was he instilling a fear into you that you better not tell anyone about this? No, that's the thing. Like he never once ever told me not to tell anyone. No, mm. I, I wasn't afraid of him. Yeah, I was not one bit afraid of him. He never once told me not to say that to anyone. I just knew not to. As I say, my fear was losing him. Yeah. So you you had this understanding if people find out he's gone. Yeah. Mm. Um, so when you turned 16, when did you guys just separate or did you take action then? Um, we moved to Mayo um, when I was 16 and then I moved to England for three years. OK. And then I came back when I was 19. I had my daughter in England. I came back at 19, just completely forgot about everything, brushed everything under the carpet, lived as a normal family. And then I think it was 2014. My father abused someone else and they came forward and he denied doing it to her. And then my sister Steph told me he'd done the same to her, oh, which killed me. Um, and then I just said um, when he was denying what he'd done to the other victim, I said, I can't let him ruin her life. Do you know, and that's when me and Steph went to the guards and said, look, this has been going on. And they had an idea because they would have got access to the HSC files. I think they were just waiting in the background for us to get in touch. Mm, yeah. What a feeling by the HSC instantly. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, to be those guards and look at that file, they must have thought, oh, my God. But even when I was when I reported it myself, there's a note in the file saying not to contact the Gardaí. Mm hmm. Um. So obviously the ways were in motion then. Um, was your father arrested? Yeah. Yeah. How was that for you? Like personally, I was scared because I didn't want him to get hurt in prison because I knew that there was no going back now. I'd lie awake at night worried sick about him. Mm. Something had come on the telly and I was thinking, no wonder is he watching that or will he be able to watch his favourite TV programmes or eat his favourite food? And I was petrified for him. 
I couldn't sleep right. I sleep sitting up because I was riddled with anxiety. Did you have any contact with him? No. No. Once he went in? No. I went to visit him after the court case um, mm-hmm. when he got sentenced to 18 years. And part of me done it was like to apologise to him for, you know, and I shouldn't have. But like I had in between then and now, I've had extreme amounts of therapy. So to be yeah. honest, he, he might he might come into my head once a week, whereas yeah. back then it was every second of the day. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the court case, obviously they had to build a court case and all of that must have been so horrendous for you. It was horrible. Really? It was. It was horrible. Yeah. What was that like? You just have to obviously give so much detail. It it was like I was two weeks given my statements, like 12 hour days in there. But it kind of doing it as well was kind of therapeutic for me, because when you say it out loud, it becomes real. Whereas when you're holding it in, it's like, did it happen or did it not happen? And it was getting all that out from the pit of my stomach really done me the world of good. Really? Yeah, it really did. And I said so much more than like one memory leading to a thousand more, you know, that sort of way. So like I really got down into the pit of my stomach when it came to doing my statements and he even told them stuff I hadn't told them. And I'm at the time I was mad, but now I'm glad he did because I don't want to be sitting in a room in a few years time and get a flashback and think, did that happen? Mm. Do you know that sort of way? Mm-hmm. But it, it it's something that I'm so glad I had the chance to do because it offloaded so much off me. Mm. And your sister obviously went through that process as well at the time. Yeah. And then, you know, when we're talking about loss, you know, in that moment and when all of that became public, I suppose, um, you know, the family, did the family all support you girls? No, no. We lost everyone. Really? Yeah. That's what I feared there. And I I think a lot of it was guilt on their behalf. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just this is the thing about, you know, abuse and Mm -hmm. a loss that's not a death is destroying because you don't just lose, you know, your innocence, your childhood. You lose so much more than that. Right. And I'm sure other victims of abuse or survivors of abuse will possibly relate to that and understand that. That's like being buried alive. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't know where to go after that, because like it's like you said, the loss, it's like you're not that person you were. You're not like you could hide behind your secrets before, whereas now I couldn't. Mm. Like my father's family stayed in touch, but my mother's didn't. But it was it was weird for a while. You know, it wasn't the same. The family dynamic was completely different. Mm -hmm. And I know they were in shock that that was their brother and stuff like that. But the support wasn't there, do you know that? And they, they've apologised for that like this. And I understand they were going through a lot as well, an ordeal at the time. Do you know, like uh, I'd be close enough to them now again, but my younger sister, Michaela, is very close to my father's family. Mm, yeah, it was like a bomb, isn't it, really? Just obliterates your whole family and it's yeah. a living grief. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the court case then uh, came to fruition then in, in 2018. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And did he plead guilty? Mm-hmm. He did. So does that save you a trial? Yeah. Having to go on stand and stuff? Yeah. Okay. I still had to do a victim impact statement, obviously, but yeah. And how was that for you? It was tough. Yeah. Did it you was tough. You find healing in it? A lot. Yeah. <sighs> I found it hard. It was harder to sit there and talk about him, knowing that he was kind of behind me looking at me because I couldn't even look at him because I didn't want to upset him because a lot of stuff in that would have upset him. I told him how he made me feel, how he de- how he destroyed my life. He took everything from me. But I wasn't brave enough at the time to look at him and tell him that. Yeah. But I have done since. Wow. And so he was locked up then for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Mm. How did that feel again to you? I was shocked. I was, I like I remember when the judge said 18 years, the first thing that came into my head is he doesn't deserve that. And I just kept looking at him and he put out his hand and he asked the the guard could he talk to me and the guard kind of pushed him out the door and I was distraught because his mother died the week before that as well you know and I knew he I knew he was going through a tough time and I was more concerned for him I was like why 18 years I said to the guard like that's not fair wow Mm -hmm. now I think he deserves it and a lot more (laughs) I mean the jail that you were in for how many years yeah 33 years yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's and and yet like I'd, I can 
get why you would feel that way and think that way because you didn't know any different, really, no. did you? No. From from a, a baby up, how are you going to mm-hmm. kind of know? Those are the people that teach you right from wrong. Yeah. But if you're just taught wrong is right. Yeah. How, how do you know any different, you know? I don't like my counsellor said to me one day when I was in a session, she said, describe your childhood like your child head. And I said, I never had a child head. I look back at myself as a three year old and I still think I'm the same person I am now, but just look different. Do you know that sort of way? Yeah. I don't rem- ever remember having an innocent brain like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You knew then what you know now. Yeah. Which no child should ever know. No. Was parts of your childhood happy? No. No. <laughs> so sad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So after your father was jailed, did you feel um, a sense of, I suppose, not relief? I suppose then you the work had to take place really then, didn't it? Yeah. For yourself. Because, you know, I was thinking about you before you came in today and I was thinking an awful lot of the time I speak to people who lose somebody mm-hmm. and their life has changed. Let's say someone that loses a child, for example, and they say to me, I've completely lost myself. But I feel for you, there was no losing yourself, if that makes sense. It was finding myself. Yeah, right. You were never, there's no such thing as going back to the old you because no. you just there was no happiness ever. No. And I was always living for someone else. I was always looking out for someone else. All my anxiety came from what someone else done to me. Look, worried about someone else, worried about someone finding out. You know, I was never, never focused on myself. I didn't know who I was. Mm. I was just a body. I didn't know who I was inside. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, I'd say many can relate to that. Yeah. But it's it's terribly hard to understand if you haven't been through it, you know. Yeah. And that's why it's amazing that you're talking about it. I have to talk about it. I suffered in silence and it's when I was silent I suffered. Really? Yeah. So as soon as you started talking, you felt that weight come off your shoulders a little? Yeah, because I didn't care then what people thought. I had nothing to hide, even though I had nothing to hide. Mm, well, I had that. nothing to hide, you know, that sort of way. Mm. Um, so I suppose then were you still how were you doing then, you know, throughout those years? I know you said you self-harmed and you did a lot of physical um, acts, I suppose, to to try and. I suppose, as you say, to shout for attention in a way yeah. mm-hmm. um, and to get away and get out of that environment. Did that continue or did that ease as, you know, I suppose around the time of the court case and when he got arrested and all that kind of thing? Um, did you struggle personally, you know, with self-harming and things like that as well? I went from one thing to another. I, I, my eating disorder got out of control. I lost a lot of weight. I was taking a lot of volume. I was just substituting, j- just trying to fill myself with something because I just didn't want to feel anymore do you know that sort of way because I didn't know what to feel like after the court case it's like oh god what do I do with my life where do, where do I go from here I felt so empty so empty so I just threw myself into the gym but even though it was a waste of time because I wasn't working out properly I was just do you know what I mean getting up at five in the morning to go to the gym to do a workout and then having a joint outside the gym and taking two or three volume do you know that sort of way I was just I was never just sitting down and settling and trying to live a normal life whatever that is or, you know but I just I couldn't mm. you couldn't obviously sit still and be in your head and no. think about what happened no no yeah my OCD was crazy like I'd my poor daughter drove insane right OCD like it was mental like she couldn't she couldn't sit down she couldn't settle at home nothing was right for me ever right for me and how did your OCD, I'm just thinking of other people that might be struggling with that. How did that play out? What did that look like, the OCD? I constantly clean and constantly, d- like I'd sweep the floor and mop the floor 10 times a day. Right. Everything had to be perfect. I wouldn't leave the house unless everything was put back. I'd be late going somewhere just so I could have the house spotless. Do you know, just crazy stuff like that. Mm. It feels to me like you just, as I said, you needed to be fully distracted. Yeah. Anything but sit still and think. Mm-hmm. 
and then you began therapy. Mm-hmm. I was de- I was going to therapy through all the court cases and stuff like that. I was going to my counsellor all through that as well. And did you find that helpful? Oh, yeah. Really? My God, yeah. My counsellor was my guardian angel. She really was. Mm. She really was. Um, and this it might sound, sound like a stupid question, but is that provided for you then by the government? Or it whoever? was, yeah. It would want yeah. to be, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was. Like yeah. yeah. The least they could do. Yeah. Um. So once the court case happened, I suppose, did you think to yourself, I'm going to try and build a life for myself here? Or what did you feel was the next direction for you? Did you get, did you feel like, I know initially when you said you're, that sentence was handed down. Mm-hmm. I suppose there was a part of you feeling guilt, maybe. Yeah. Sadness for your yeah. dad and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a real hard thing for people to understand, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, when you say you, that you still loved your dad, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but who is anyone to comment on that if you haven't been through it? How yeah. do you know? Yeah. But that's a real thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I still do love my dad. Yeah. And that's OK. You know? That's yeah. your feelings. You're entitled to feel what you feel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it, hating someone takes up too much energy. Mm-hmm. I hated him for a while. Do you know what I mean? Especially after Steph passed away, I hated him then. And then it hurt me more to hate him than it does to love him. And I think the reason it hurt me to hate him is because I didn't hate him. I was trying to convince myself I did. OK, yeah. You thought this is what I'm supposed this to. This is the way this I should be feeling. Yeah, but you weren't. No. Mm. Um. So... I suppose next in the story then was um, your sister, Steph. Mm -hmm. In 2017, she became sick. Yeah. Could you um, tell us about that a little bit? She had an addiction. She she was an alcoholic. She suffered a lot with her mental health. And I mean suffered. Oh, my God. She really did. And she was so lost. She couldn't she couldn't accept or handle any of it at all. She really couldn't. She just had a different mindset to me, do you know, that sort of way, like. Um, yeah, she could she couldn't handle it. And it's important to note, I suppose, um, that she was uh, abused also. But yeah, you guys, neither of you knew. She knew about me. She did. OK. Yeah. She um, she told me that she said I knew. And when she told me it happened to her, I was shocked. Really? Yeah. And I was even. So that this might sound mad, but a small part of me was jealous because I thought I was his only girl, you know, that sort of way. Mm-hmm. And then I was angry because I thought everything he put me through, I thought I was saving her from it. Mm. But I, I was, oh, that really got, got to me because I was thinking I knew what's, what, what it felt like to suffer from the abuse and then thinking that she went through it as well. And I, when we were younger, then we'd be fighting and stuff. And every time I think of Steph, to this day, I think of her as a child. I don't think of her as an adult. I can still see see her as a child, you know, and her little blonde head and stuff. And I, I can't picture her as an adult and that might come eventually, but I'm still mourning the child of her right now. She was your baby sister. Mm-hmm. What, like, what does that do to that alone to know that she was hurt it rips me apart because not only was she my sister she was my best friend like she knew me better than anyone ever did and ever will and that's because she understood me mm. I, I just can't imagine the pain of that of of you finding out you know I have siblings and even if what happened to you hadn't happened even that would be enough to destroy me to think that it happened to her. Mm-hmm. I just can't really. I find it hard to grasp the amount of pain that you've carried. But that's I could handle what he done to me, mm. but I couldn't handle what he done to Steph I, and my other sister. I, I couldn't deal with that because I knew what that felt like. And growing up, I was kind of angry at Steph because I was jealous that she wasn't going through it. Mm. It was just such a head, a head mess, like a head wreck. It just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it, as I said, when I heard mm. about her. It's probably parts of you felt guilt then because you used yeah. to be angry that she yeah. didn't have to go through yeah. it. And yet she was going through it. Yeah. 
and she watched me go through it. He done so to me in front of her, whereas I thought she didn't know. It's just such a nightmare, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, so she became sick and then, um, you know, that was obviously a very stressful time for you then in your life. I suppose you were trying to save her, were you, in some ways? Were you trying yeah. to will her to come out of the addiction and, mm-hmm. and pull through? Like she was really sick in hospital. She was in intensive care for weeks and they told us like that she'd only last hours and I was approached to go on the Late Late Show. So I was going up there on the Friday and I was saying to the nurses, promise me she'll still be here when I get back. And they said, look, she has another couple of days left. So I went to Dublin and I came back and my documentary was out on the Tuesday. And I remember lying in the bed beside her watching it in intensive care and all her family were there and my daughter and her husband. And she turned to my aunt when the documentary was on and she goes, the house of horrors. But she was so sick and she was supporting me that day when we were watching the documentary. And I I never cried so much as I did in those few days when she was in the hospital because I didn't want to lose her. I really didn't. And she I, I'll never forget it. She was swollen. She was. She had sepsis, she had cirrhosis, she had double pneumonia, she had everything. She had fluid coming out through her stretch marks. She was that swollen. She couldn't go to the toilet. She was crying, being lifted onto the commode. She was just, she was badly, badly broken in every single way. And I mean broke to pieces. And I didn't think she'd survive that, but she did. And she lived. Um... She stayed off the drink for a while and then COVID kicked in and she went back on the drink and she lasted a few months. And I fell out with her. And she kept trying to reach out to me and I was mad at her because like I used to tell myself I can give up the drink for two or three weeks. I, I'm not an addict, but I was. And I was mad at her that she couldn't do that. And... Steph sent me a message. Um, can we please talk? And I ignored her. And then um, she went into hospital and I went in to see her. I hadn't seen her in a few weeks. And her husband wheeled her in in the wheelchair and I looked at her and I said, Steph, you're tired. And she said, I really am. And then the next day, I was working on night shift and the next day me and my daughter went up to the hospital because COVID was just kind of finishing at the time. And we rang up to the ward and the nurse said, we'll be half an hour, we're doing our rounds. And I said to my daughter, come on, Fekka, we'll come up and see her tomorrow. But tomorrow was too late. I got in from work at five and her husband rang me and he said they put her into an induced coma. I never got to say goodbye. And like, part of me was thinking she's died now, thinking I'm angry at her. But I know she'll understand because since she's passed away, my life has changed so much for the better because I know she's looking after me. I never ask her for anything because I know if she can do anything for me, she'll do it. And she's given me signs everywhere. Everywhere. Um... And I know this might sound crazy, but I had to lose her to find myself. When she was a year dead, when I seen her headstone, I said, I need to sort my life out. And a week after her first anniversary, I went into rehab myself and I haven't looked back since. Wow. And I thank her every day. I'm so grateful for being given a second chance. And it was Steph that gave me that second chance because she was still here or she died from any other disease or anything else I'd be wallowing in self-pity and I'd still be drinking and taking drugs but her death gave me a second chance (laughs) you'd want to be a stone (laughs) wouldn't you Um, you know I just Think of her there, um, as you explained earlier, 
and her little blonde head. Yeah, your she little, was gorgeous. Your little sister, like. And even in that moment, that's what she was still, your little baby sister. And I'm sure part of you went with her. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But, you know, you've two roads to choose. You were left with a choice and many, many, many would understand. It was fight or flight. Yeah. And I fought. And no doubt you had to fight very, very, very hard. But the rewards are amazing. Just a quick word from me here to thank our sponsors today, which is counselingonline.ie. They really believe in what we're doing here, our community and, you know, giving people a voice to speak about their loss and their grief and their loved ones. And likewise, I really, you know, believe in what they're doing. It's a fantastic Irish company that was set up when they saw a need for people to be able to access therapy at home online. Not everybody can get up and face the world and, you know, seek out a therapist and drive there. So with Counselling Online, their motto is wherever you are, we are there too. So you pick up your phone, your laptop, whatever it is, connect with somebody there, make an appointment and that's it. You don't have to leave your house. What I love personally about it is there's a whole range of therapists on there. So you can have a look, you can see their photo on the website. If there's someone that you like the look of, you can organize, um, you know, a, a, a Zoom call or a phone call, whatever it is that suits you at this moment in time. And their help is specialized and they are professionals in what they do. And if you feel like you are seeking some support, with your loss or your grief or whatever sort of trauma or issues you are dealing with right now, then please do remember to reach out to counsellingonline.ie. So you turned your life around after she left? Yeah. What were the days like after she died? Was it very dark? Darker than it's ever been? Mm-hmm. Really? I remember the night of her funeral. I went over to the graveyard and it was pitch black. And I remember walking around the graveyard thinking, where are you? And I, I just, I couldn't accept it. I couldn't, I didn't accept it until after I came out of rehab. I'd go, like, I'd go home and I'd, my daughter would hear me roaring crying and she'd be like, mom, it's okay. I just like, why did she have to go? I didn't want her to go, but it would have been selfish of me wanting her to stay because she was suffering so much. That's the relief I get out of it. So I know she's not in any more pain because she was tortured. Yeah. I mean, tortured. Like she had four beautiful kids as well and she adored them so much, but she couldn't even fight for them anymore. And I knew that's when she'd had enough because her kids were her world. And I don't ever want them growing up thinking that their mommy chose to drink over them. She didn't. The drink towards her, it was her way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you exist, you know, when you don't have a normal life? And that's the battle that you have every day because you had the same, I suppose, if you want, demons as she did. Mm-hmm. But as you say, it was fight or flight because you could join her. It's like that little girl that I once was. She went through hell and back and she didn't do that for nothing. Mm. it's because of her I'm here yeah and I owe it to her too yeah to build a life that you want yeah yeah and that she deserves yeah for sure (laughs) you know you mentioned earlier that you were then very angry at your father did you feel like this is your fault that she's died I called in my head I called him a murderer I called I said you should be locked up for murder 100% that's what I was thinking as you explained that too yeah killed her yeah Mm -hmm. 100% so you got angry then yeah yeah like both my parents were horrible people but you know I can't explain it the feeling I uh, I have a different feeling for my mother than I do for my father because I feel like her role was to protect us. I don't speak to her now. There's that there's a case ongoing at the moment, so I can't really say too much sure. about her at the moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, so after your sister passed away, did you then become um, faced with an opportunity to go see your father? Um, it was when I came out of rehab. Uh, Marie Keenan, she's a psychologist. We've been talking about it for ages because I've done a couple of podcasts with Cavanagh sisters before yeah. about the childhood abuse and they put me in touch with her and I agreed to do it. And then Steph passed away. My addiction got out of hand. And then when I came out of rehab, I contacted her and I said I wanted to do it. So I only went in to do it about six weeks ago. Really? So you saw him after the sentence? Yeah. First of all, you went in to visit him? I couldn't even look up and then I was scared then. And you had a real different mindset then? Yeah, completely different. What was your reason for going in that time? You felt bad for him? Yeah. I wanted to make sure he's okay. And was he happy to see you? Yeah, of course. When I was leaving the prison, he asked me for a hug at the time and I said I can't. Because I don't know... That little girl in me could have taken over and not wanted to let her daddy go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I couldn't do that to myself. Mm-hmm. And did, in that visit, it was just more or less checking on him, see how he was doing. Yeah. Did he apologise on that meeting? Mm-hmm. He did? Yeah, mm-hmm. but it didn't mean anything at yeah. the time. Just words. <laughs> and so you didn't go back to him after that then. And then you returned after Steph passed away. Six. I went back to him six weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And so do you mind just touching on that? Because I only recently I was telling you when we were texting each other, I only heard of that recently. Um, restorative justice. Is it, is it a new concept? I'm not sure. It must be. I'm not I sure. hadn't heard of it, but I heard of it on a podcast recently. So yeah. essentially what it is, is it's uh, an opportunity for you, um, I suppose, the victim. I don't know how you feel about that yeah. word. <laughs> survivor. The survivor, yeah. <laughs> for you, the survivor, to face your perpetrator and yeah. ask them some questions. Do they have to agree to it also? Yeah. They do. Yeah. And they can say no if they want. Yeah. Okay. And so then you have a liaison officer, a person that yeah. goes in between. Yeah, and you they have your probation officer and then he has his someone with him from the prison. And I had Marie Keenan with me, the psychologist. OK. Yeah. And is there a lot of back and forth before this meeting happens? Yeah. 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 I have to give an idea of what I want to talk about and stuff like that. And to meet up with the probation officer and just to kind of see for them to see where my head is at and stuff, you know, and stuff like that to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons. And mm. I'm not going to come out of it worse than I went in. You know, they were very, very good about it. Like they really, really took care of me. Right. So they want to make sure that this is going to be good for you and not yeah. set you back yeah. down the road. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So you work with a team or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so then what what happened when you went in? I was so nervous. Um going in and stuff but when he came into the room because I I'd seen him last last year you know the year before because he appealed his case and it was denied in the high court so I, I'd seen him then so I kind of had an idea what to expect but when he came in I looked at him and he looked so swollen so sick and he looked so vulnerable and he sat down in front of me and he was like hello and kind of had a bit of a casual conversation and it felt so normal it really felt so normal. Um, I had a statement wrote out. I want a letter more so than a statement. I wrote out and a few questions. So I read my letter and asked my questions. And when we were talking, I was he was sitting right across to me. It's like there was no one else in the room. We just stared at each other and I asked him questions and I got my answers and I asked him what was I to him. Do you know, like, because I never understood. And he was like, you're my beautiful daughter. I was like, but you don't do that to your kid. And he said, if I knew it was going to hurt you this much, I never would have done it. And even the psychologist that was with me, she said, your dad needs to be assessed. She said, I really think he's on the spectrum. And I've been saying that for years. And I asked him, like, why did he keep doing it even after he got caught so many times? And he said, because I didn't think it was as bad because I didn't get into trouble for it. And then he said, um, I said, I said that this visit is my goodbye. And he said, am I not going to see you when I get out? And I said, no. I said, because I can't keep doing goodbyes. I've had enough. So I, I have to say goodbye now. And 
I said, I'd never be able to trust you. And he said, I understand. And I seen the look of sadness in his face. And he said that he knew what grief felt like. And he's like, because I know you've hurt the most. <laughs> but like, that visit told me the world of good. I, I had a spiritual awakening when I came out of that prison. I really did. Because I've said the stuff I said in that letter, I've said it over and over and over again to different people. But it's when I looked him in the eye and said to him, I meant what I said. And I got such relief getting saying all that to him. And I'm glad I got to see his reaction. Because I wanted to make sure he knew why he had done and I knew he did I could see the guilt and the sadness and it was such it was such an emotional visit it was so sad it was so emotional and the, the feelings I had that day were kind of like similar to the feelings I had when Steph died because I knew then I could the little girl that was in me, I could off, not offload her, but I had nurtured everything. I'd given her everything she needed. And I let her, she kind of said her piece as well that day. And I knew when I left that prison, I think that little girl, I left her behind as well. In it, not in a bad way. I had my work done for her. You let go of her hand. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. You're fine. <laughs> um, you know, and this is the thing, I suppose it's really important to talk and I'm so thankful that you have because nobody could ever understand the, how complex it is like you know as you talk to me there I'm like you know no matter what I mean it's different for everyone I'm sure someone else would want to kill their father there and then but your experience as you explain it to me you know you had to say goodbye to your daddy that day you know because I'm sure it's like there was part of you that hated what he did but there was also that undeniable this is my dad mm -hmm. so you had to say goodbye and there's a, a loss there because no matter what you, you you didn't come into this world wanting to lose your dad that mm -hmm. wasn't your choice and you have to carry and feel that loss regardless you've lost so much I've also gained a lot too that's good yeah what do you feel like you've gained a life. Yeah. It began when you walked out of the prison? Yeah. I I had I had 80% of my life on track before that. But then when I left that prison I felt complete. I felt grateful. I wake up every day feeling grateful, so grateful. Really? Yeah. I'm full of gratitude. Wow. Incredible. I really am. Because you choose to. Yeah. Do you have to work at that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I have to tell myself I'm lucky to have what I have. It's not what I want. It's what I have. That's important. Do you think Steph's loss, the loss of Steph has, has as you said, that's what that's. It has given me life. It's given you that. Yeah. Because it's put a bit of perspective, I suppose, on it. That you feel grateful that you're here and able to get up. Yeah. And face another day. Yeah. I don't wake up every day with a positive mindset, but I mm. make sure I go out and find it. I'll do what I can to get out and get myself going and be motivated to be, as I say, be grateful and look for the good. Don't wait for it to find me. The, what brings you joy now? The gym? Every, everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Waking up sober, my daughter, my sister's kids, my friends, the gym. 
I've recently qualified as a personal trainer. And Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So, yeah. And like the crowd I work with in the gym, they're like my second family. The gym's amazing, isn't it, for the head? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I love it there. I love working out there. I love working there. I just love the whole dynamic of it. It suits you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certain people... I'm a trainer myself. <laughs> I think some people are just suited to that role. You yeah. know, you because it's always a reason why someone really gets into fitness. Yeah. And sometimes it's therapy for people. It's life saving, yeah. really, in a way for a lot of people. It is. Yeah. It's my medication. Yeah. It's, it's my happiness. It's my joy. <laughs> I've met some amazing people there. Do you know, I've met amazing friends like, do you know, and that's all since I became sober. Wow. Um, becoming sober, was that really, really hard to do? Yeah. Because it's like that. It's letting go of another part of yourself. Do you feel like uh, I kind of, this is the way I look at addictions and stuff that, um, have you ever heard of Gabor Mate? Yeah, I used to, my counsellor in rehab, that was his go-to. But I think they're all related. Like, you know, if someone says, well, I'm addicted to shopping and I'm addicted to gambling and I'm addicted to sex and I'm addicted to chocolate and... It's like everyone's doing the same thing. They're just numbing down the pain. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's he says yeah. not, not why the addiction, but why the pain. Yeah. So that's you know as you spoke in the early days, you were like even the OCD and the cleaning the house. It's just distraction. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like quieting whatever is going on inside. So yeah, I suppose only then would you be able to face into the heavy stuff and work through what you need to work through when you remove the substance and stuff. Sit with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Feel your emotions, feel your feelings, get rid of the the numbness, the numb and cream. Yeah, but I imagine that was really hard to do because I'm sure that there are many people, whatever their trauma is, but it, let's say, you know, uh, abuse. I'm sure some people would rather just, I don't want to think about it. Yeah. I don't want to go there. Was it, is it really difficult to go into and think of all those things that happened and it work was. through that? Yeah. Did you feel it was necessary? It was necessary. It was needed. I knew it was something I had to do because the reason Steph was the way she was because she didn't want to talk about it. Mm. We were two total opposites when it came to it. Steph had no problem talking about my abuse, but when it came to her own stuff, she was like, oh God, she felt embarrassed. She felt ashamed. Yeah. And that's it. That's ultimately yeah what that killed killed her, her. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's so important to talk isn't oh it? it is so important even if it's to yourself at times yeah. <laughs> just to say things out loud yeah do you know and just don't be ashamed don't be embarrassed do you know like you find your people do you know you you go along and like and you will find your people mm. do you know like i that my michaela my friend she's amazing she's here yeah <laughs> Do you know, I can tell that girl, she's only in my life a few months, but I can tell that girl anything. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, as I say, you just know your own people. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to find people in you your do. life. Did you find it hard to trust people, though? Oh, 100%. Mm. 100%. Still. Not really anymore because I, I, I found it hard in the past to trust people because I depended on people, whereas now I don't. Okay. I, I don't have to pretend to be someone else. And that I think that's where the trust kind of I came into it with me. Like I, I had zero boundaries. Do you know that sort of way? Like I, I'd give myself to anyone. I've been in toxic relationships just to be loved. Mm. But yet I still had zero trust for those people. Yeah. Because they were the wrong people. Yeah. But I trust the right people. Yeah. And I, I'll always have trust issues. I think everybody does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, but I do trust her. I have I have a good sense about me now. I've 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 my healthy boundaries up, so I know that I'm not going to let the wrong people in. I give everyone a chance, but I don't have to let people in. You know, when we were chatting about Gabor Mati there, and he says, you know, it, there's childhood needs. I'm sure we've heard all about that stuff yeah. as well. Then, um, you know, I I can relate, not relate, but I I understand what you're saying when you're saying like that. You just want it to be loved. Yeah. Do you feel like looking back on reflection that you didn't have real love from your parents? And that's why I always ended up in toxic relationships because that was the You're normal. For it. If I if I met someone normal, I'd be like, oh, they're not treating me bad, so they don't love me. They don't care. Okay. Do you know it wasn't normal to me? So it felt comfortable to you when there was someone. Everything treating was you like toxic. Shit. Every time someone riddled me with anxiety, that was love to me. Wow. Isn't it incredible? Mm-hmm. The damage that can be done. Yeah. 
you know, childhood is so important. Mm. I'm really, I love that kind of, I'm flat out on TikTok looking at, <laughs> you know, <laughs> psychologists. and But it all goes back to childhood, doesn't it? Does. it? Yeah. Like if they're not safe. Yeah. You're, you ultimately were really not safe. Even yeah. if you didn't have an understanding of it, you know, even yeah. if you didn't understand and just thought this is normal. Yeah. Your subconscious knew that you were in danger and you mm. weren't safe. But it just became normal. It slots in there in the back of your mind. Yeah. As, oh, this is normal like. Yeah. But I suppose forever more you have to deal with that then. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That lack of safety. Yeah. Lack of love. That you're constantly. And that, I, I feel like that's the battle. Steph had. That's the battle you have still. Mm-hmm. You know. Every day you're winning the battle. Thank God. Yeah. But it's a battle. Right. It is. Daily. It's, yeah. It's a it's a daily challenge. But as I said, it's up to me how I face my challenge. I, I could sit there and wallow and feel sorry for myself. And there is days I do that. Don't get me wrong. I in the past I had six bad days and one good day. Now it's six good days and one bad day. Incredible. Do you know, it's such a turnaround and not every day is going to be good, no matter who you are. Do you know, you can't you can't keep on top of things all the time. And if I said I was good every day, I'd be lying to you. <laughs> yeah. You're building your resilience. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a muscle. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's an important one. I'm flexing my resilience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose what, um, when you think of other people that might be going through a similar situation, what what does, you know, what do you feel like is important to tell them people if they were to hear you? To nurture yourself, don't feel embarrassed, don't feel ashamed. And I know a lot of people find it so hard to reach out, but don't be don't be worried about what's going to happen to your abuser. Worry about yourself. And even if it's only to tell a friend, you, ha- you have to say it out loud just because when you hold it in, it eats you inside out and you feel ashamed and embarrassed and there are feelings that you shouldn't be feeling. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to the guards or you have to do this or anything like that but just find someone you feel comfortable with and talk to them and just kind of and you will feel so much better write it down write it on a piece of paper and read it back to yourself but just I think you have to be able to say it to accept it do you know that sort of way Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense but it does Otherwise, it's just going to eat away inside. In It eats you inside out. Yeah, yeah, it does. As yeah. I say, even just one word, just to say to someone that you're feeling at that moment in time, you don't have to tell them the story. You just have to say one word that that you're feeling. Mm. And Steph now is on your mind all the time. Do you feel that she's with you? You said Oh my is. God, so much. Like, really? I d- when it comes to Steph now, I get I don't grieve about her in front of people. I'll go into my room and I'll cry and I feel like that's mine and her time. Yeah. That's when I can talk to her. Yeah. Because like I don't. I can handle the grief now, like I can talk till the cows come home to people about Steph with a smile on my face. Yeah. And the minute I sit on my own and think about her, um, I'm gone. Yeah. Do you know, I'd be driving in the car, a song will come on her. Even sometimes in these days, something will happen in life and I'd be like, oh, I must ring Steph and tell her. It's like, oh, God. There's nothing like a sister, you know, there's just something about it, isn't there, that they have your back constantly. Like all we had to do was look at each other and we knew what each other was thinking. Or, you know, like even at my granddad's funeral, we had to leave because <laughs> <laughs> the two was like, she was having to sit in there riddled with anxiety and I kept looking at her and, Next thing the two of us started laughing like we had to leave, do you know, that sort of way. We were brutal bad together. <laughs> brutal. Oh. I do. I miss her so much. Yeah. And even like my daughter, Sarah, was so close. Like Sarah only told me after Steph passed away that Steph used to pick her up from school nearly every day to bring her home and watch movies. <laughs> and I was like, how can I get mad at that now? Like, you didn't, didn't know. know. I didn't know because I was on night shift. And Steph had landed in the door at three. Oh, I met this one walking down the road, not telling me she was with her for the last four hours. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and that's another reason why I don't like to get upset around Sarah either, because Sarah's full of grief, too, for Steph. She was like her second mom. Yeah. She was so good to her. Yeah. So good to her. Yeah. And Sarah was so good to Steph when she was sick. She adored her. 
like when Steph was in ICU the first time we stayed in the hospital at night time and Sarah would stay with me and she, I'd wake up and Sarah in the waiting room and Sarah would be gone. She'd be down lying in the bed beside Steph and talking to her and singing to her and helping change her nappies and stuff. She was so good to her. Do you carry um, a lot of her grief and pain too as her mom? then? Like, do you worry for her and it's tough to watch, isn't it, her and how heartbroken she is? It is and she put up with so much with me as well. And like she she got really kind of down and a bit after I came out of rehab and my counsellor in rehab told me it's because Sarah has never been able to concentrate on her own feelings and emotions because she's always been worried about someone else. Mm. And even last night when I was thinking about this, I was lying in bed and I was thinking the poor thing. She's only a kid like she is 20, but she's still a kid. And I was thinking she's feeling she's felt and is feeling a lot of the similar emotions. I was feeling how how is she dealing with it? And there is a part of me that's afraid to approach her about it because I don't know if she comes at me like crying and stuff and all upset. I, I like, yeah, do you know, you don't know how you'd handle it. No. Mm. Yeah. Again, it's not straightforward, is it? No. And these are the knock on effects from abuse. Yeah. You know, and it, that's not your fault. No. Again, you know, mm-hmm. this is the knock on effect. Yeah. That's why I do hide my grief from her. Yeah, because I know she's grieving herself. Yeah, well, I think you're entitled to feel your grief, too. But I, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I bet it would be very different if you said that to her. Well, probably she, she hears this now. She's like, Mom, why did you say yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But it's like what you're saying about the abuse. You know, you're saying don't keep it in, say it out. It's the yeah. same with grief. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think I understand what you're saying. You don't want her to worry about you or whatever, but... For me, I think the grief of the loss of your sister is very healthy, as in, why wouldn't you be devastated? She was yeah. the most beautiful thing, the most, I don't know, you you needed her here. So yeah. of course you're devastated that she's gone. And if you shed tears about that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I always say that to people. If I'm like, you wouldn't apologise for laughing. <laughs> you <laughs> Definitely know, not, yeah. you wouldn't say, oh, God, I, I, I'm not going to show you how happy I am. It's a normal emotion and you're entitled to feel that too. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 love on the other side. I yeah. feel like, you know, that saying grief yeah. is love with nowhere to go. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, I just have been blown away really by you. <laughs> I wish we had longer to talk. Um, I think that you're just such an incredible person. I really do. And I know like blah, blah, blah. People say all these things at the end and big people up. But I mean it like I feel like I'm in the presence of. Just a remarkable person. Thank you. Because I just feel like. Most kids, their parents will help them to become who they are. But you did it by yourself. You know, that makes you way stronger than me. Way better than me. Like you built who you were by yourself. What a woman like. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Mind yourself. I will. Thank you so much. Well, that was probably one of the most powerful conversations that I've ever had in my entire life. As you might have heard in that episode, I was overcome with emotion on a couple of occasions and usually I might edit that out of the podcast. But you know what? It's very important to show that we're all human and to be affected by something by this, like listening to a story like this. As I said, you'd want to be a stone not to be affected. And it's important for people to know that Um, Sophia was just the most incredible person that I've ever met. And what I would love for this wonderful community that we have here I would love for us all to do something good and try and get behind her and support her she has recently embarked she's a newly qualified personal trainer in Mayo she's based in Castlebar so I would love if you could get behind her and let's all support her in this new path that she's chosen I know for a fact I would love a woman like that in my corner pushing me on and showing me what real inspiration looks like um, so you can follow her on Instagram and her handle is Soph 
SOPHIT7. So it's S-O-P-H-F-I-T-7. I'll link it in the comments here and also on Instagram and TikTok in the captions. You'll see it all there. But please give her that follow. She deserves so much in life. Um, that's it for 2023. I wanted to quickly thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart. You've interacted with me so much and it's just such a pleasure and an honor to bring this podcast to you. I want to really thank everybody who featured on the podcast this season. All of my guests have been tremendous, incredible, motivating people. There is nothing like them. I'm so proud of each and every one of them to be able to share their stories. I also remember each and every one of their loved ones. I hold them in my heart and I think of them often. And I would love to also thank my sponsor, which is uh, counselingonline.ie, a wonderful Irish company who are so gracious in helping me get this to you. And please, God, we'll be able to come back in 2024 and bring you more of these episodes and stories. Thank you all again and wishing you so much peace and love over the Christmas season. And I'll speak to you in 2024.